I remember the first time I read the word lingerie. I don't know where I read it, but I thought it was lingerini. <laughs> it's like a pasta. That's yeah. I was like, lingerini? Are they eating? What's happening? Welcome aboard Stowaways to this episode of Seminary Stowaways. I'm your host, Hannah Connor, and I'll soon be joined by my co-host, Louine Riley. Today, Louine's going to share with us what she's been learning in seminary about Lectio Divina, an approach to scripture that focuses on presence and listening rather than study. So stick around, we'll unpack it all together. But first, I want to introduce my friend, Louanne Riley. Louanne grew up in Alabama but got to Texas with her husband, Justin, as fast as she could. She left her ladder climbing gig in corporate America for a full-time job in ministry seven years ago, and she's the former discipleship director of a large Houston area church. She's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Theology while wrangling her twin boys. She has a passion for hoodie sweatshirts, non-dairy creamer, books that make her cry, and Alabama football. I want to introduce you to my friend Hannah. Hannah is currently a communications manager for an anti-child trafficking organization, and I happen to know she's a pretty fantastic wife and mom. Her family just moved back to the U.S. after doing missions in the U.K. for the past three years. She's an Enneagram 5, so naturally, she loves detective stories and TV. She has a degree in creative writing and has worked in church ministry or parachurch ministry for the past eight years. Quick disclaimer about our audio. Luann is not in her usual recording studio, and it is so windy where we both are. Screen doors are banging. There's actually a roof going on next door to my house, so apologies in advance. Thanks for sticking with us. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Let's do it. What are we going to be talking about today? So today we are wrapping up our series on spiritual disciplines, and we're going to talk about a form of scripture reading or Bible study called Lectio Divina. Awesome. And what resources are we going to be looking at? So we're back in Ruth Haley Barton's Sacred Rhythm, which we've talked about several times so far. And then also some of the history that we're talking about comes from William Platcher's book titled Calling. You're getting your money's worth from, from Ruth. I am getting my book. money's worth from Ruth. You know, she this book, I found it to be a really accessible way to study spiritual disciplines. So this is the kind of book that you could read on your own or in a small group and study. On the other hand, Calling by William Platcher, I would not wish not so upon anyone <laughs> to have to make their way through that, it, I mean, huge, huge book, uh, textbook. All right. Lectio Divina, start us off by telling us, what does that mean? So Lectio Divina, uh, translated, is sacred reading. Uh, it's a way of approaching scripture, and it's Latin. Is this like a newer method or what? No, actually, this is considered an ancient form of scripture reading. Dates back really to the third century. How did it begin? So if you look at some church history, we can sort of trace the roots of Lectio Divina. If you'll track with me here, you have Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. You have the commissioning of the disciples. Right. You have Pentecost. Mm-hmm which is the imparting of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's where really the spread of Christianity begins. Mm -hmm. And so you have the missionary journeys, the planting of churches. Um, And so if you're kind of walking through the book of Acts into church history, 
Uh, that is how Christianity spread throughout. And then something happened. Is that um, Constantine making Christianity the state religion? That's right. Legalizing it? That's right. So up until the third century, until Constantine took over the Roman Empire, Christianity was outlawed. It was uh, against the law. It was associated really with persecution, suffering. Most apostles met a death of stoning or crucifixion. Uh, jail, imprisonment. Um, you I have, think we talked about this a little bit in the first episode where you were reading a lot about martyrs. Martyrs, yes, uh-huh. where they would go into the Roman Colosseum and they were sort of the fodder for these brutal games. And then in the third century, Constantine declares Christianity as the state religion. Woohoo! Yes, so it brought the first major change. And that's a pretty big swing. Oh, it's there. Hu- oh, it's huge. It was a huge turning point in. That's like marijuana is illegal. To now we're giving it to kids for lunch in schools. Yeah, pretty much. That would have been really just a huge change in mm-hmm. what Christianity was like. And so where before. Mm-hmm. It was a dangerous business associated with persecutions and oppression and suffering and underground and being hidden. Now it was endorsed and favored and it became popular. And what you might think of really is the roots of what we would consider sort of a consumer cultural Christianity where people said they were Christians because it became popular. And so out of that cultural Christianity came monasticism. Yes, so that is the reaction, the roots of monasticism or or monks Mm -hmm. uh, comes from a reaction to the current state of affairs in Christianity. Christians who hadn't been following Jesus before Constantine, now finding themselves in this new environment, felt like, no, this is not Christianity. Christianity means you suffer. It means Mm -hmm. that you that you sort of unite with Christ in that suffering. And so this can't be what real Christians are. And so there was a reaction to that. And so monasticism was formed by, uh, really, St. Anthony was sort of the first traceable one of people who just withdrew from society into solitude. They flogged themselves. They starved themselves. They spent hours in solitude. And Anthony, buddy, yeah. does not sound very healthy. <laughs> And so the word monasticism, really, the root of that is mono, and that's alone and in solitude. And now there's a more moderate version of monasticism that you see today, but the Mm -hmm. early roots were very isolating. Mm, Christians don't seem very good at moderation, do they? Yeah, you know. It's like either we're going to be ripped apart by grizzly bears, or we're all going to be like stuffing ourselves, eating, laying down on the floor, or we're going to run away to caves. Yeah, and you see that really through church history, these huge swings and reactions. You have monasticism, and then you have other reactions where you have like the Crusades, and then you have all these, uh, the Protestants and the Catholic split, and then you have all these like what you consider to be fundamentalist uh, who even in modern day have formed these like sects that are like responding to something that they see in culture that's happening in Christianity. And they're like, no, 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 no. So we're going to pull away and say, no, this is Christianity. It's nothing new. I'm just glad that you and I have learned the right way. Finally. We've got it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got some pretty crazy roots, Lectio Divina. So walk us through what is Lectio Divina. 
Okay, so Lectio Divina was a form of scripture reading that was really birthed out of solitude, really focuses on a listening part. Lectio Divina is considered the Bible practice of people who would consider themselves to be contemplatives. There's four rhythms um, that come, or movements, that come with Lectio Divina when you're engaging the scripture. And those four rhythms are Lectio, Meditatio, Oratio, Contemplatio. Okay, so four How's stages. How's that for some <laughs> Alabama Latin? Well done. We don't have to divulge the fact that we have recorded this segment about 12 times. <laughs> you got it, though. So really, in Alabama English that we can all understand, it means to read, reflect, respond, and rest. I read that there's occasionally or sometimes there's a fifth stage. Did you guys learn that one or do that one? Well, there can be six. Uh, six? Mm-hmm. There can be six. So there's a, a, a stage that can go before, which is what they call silencio, which is like the preparation that's basically sitting in silence Got and it. asking okay. Lord to come. Um, and then the sixth one at the end can be incarnatio, which is to live out the word of God, which is gotcha. resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are six movements that can be included, but we mm-hmm. focused really on the four because that tends to be the standard for the other two, depending on like sort of what background is engaging Lectio Divino, those may be added or not. But Ruth gotcha. Haley Barton adds all six in her okay. book and really mm-hmm. kind of sort of builds those out there if you want to know more about all six. When St. Benedict came up with Lectio Divina and developed it. He said three hours. That's that's what people need to do if they're really going to learn this. And the reason that St. Benedict, when he wrote the Benedictine theology or the rule of St. Benedict and sort of standardized the Lectio Divina practice for monks, it was birthed out of the fact that one, scripture was very expensive. So it was written on, we're talking third century, right? This is right. before the canon of the Bible. A lot of scripture was passed along um, verbally. The monks would come together and someone would read the scripture and then they would engage Lectio Lectio Divina by listening to that scripture read and by contemplating on it in silence and solitude. And so it's a discipline because Lectio Divina focuses so much on listening. And what I realized when we practiced Lectio Divina in my three-hour exercise that I did with a group is that my approach to the Bible does not really focus on listening. Yeah. Uh, My approach to the Bible that I have learned and been trained through my theological background and the churches that I've been part of is that you engage Scripture in a very academic way. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reading There's a lot of question asking of the scripture in terms of what is the context? Who is the author talking to? Um, Just sort of this sort of informational dive into Mm -hmm. scripture. And so, and then getting right very quickly to an application point. Mm -hmm. And so what a departure is for Lectio Divina is it's not an approach to scripture for an academic or informational process like purpose. It is Mm -hmm. an approach to scripture to listen for God to speak to you through scripture. Mm -hmm. It's a relational approach. And that's kind of how Ruth Haley Barton describes the difference that she found in practicing Lectio Divina. Kind of 
presence focused also. It's very presence focused. You didn't just learn about the history. You actually had to do it. Yes. And so I have some friends who are my seminary guinea pigs. And so I practiced it in community because Lectio Divina is a practice that you can practice alone, uh, but it is also considered a communal practice as well. And so the approach to Lectio Divina in the three-hour scripture in community was to lead the group through this practice and through each rhythm sit in silence listening for the Lord and what he's saying and we had some surprises in the debrief. What kind of expectations did you guys have going into it? Let me tell you what expectation I had going to is that (laughs) we were going to do this. We were going to listen for the Lord. We were going to ask him to speak specifically to each of us and I wasn't going to get anything. And that he wouldn't uh speak. He wouldn't speak. Uh. Like it's like, does God speak on demand? Am I going to sit in this room right. with two other people who I'm supposed to be leading through this exercise and be like, yeah, I didn't really get anything. Like, I've spent three hours here of my time and your time, and I don't think that I heard from God. Like, I felt like maybe he wouldn't show up. And the other two admitted in the debrief that they were very skeptical also yeah. that... You know, one thing we did think sort of that came out in the debrief is that because we were doing it in community that God would speak some type of like community word to us. Like that we would yeah. we would hear the we same. would all hear the same thing and that we would all get the same thing. And what surprised huh. us the most is that in those periods of silence where we were just sitting, listening, waiting for God to draw our attention to something and to speak to us that all three of us got something very different from the same passage. Mm. But all three of us got something that spoke directly into something that was happening in our hearts or in our lives. Like it was profound. I think it makes so much sense that that's, those would be the anxieties that you would bring, which is somewhat similar to when you did the, um, was it the silent retreat? Yes. Practice mm-hmm. wondering if God would speak. The difference is that this entire practice rests on God showing up. Yep. There are not many things in our lives that won't go well if God doesn't show up. Do you think that's fair? Oh, yeah. I think that's fair. I think we stick to safe practices. My fear of Failure is so strong that I'm not really going to put myself out there to chase much or do much that if God didn't show up, I'm going to fall on my face. Like, And I will say, as someone who's just come off of living on support for the past almost three years, the times when things in my life are structured so that if God doesn't show up, it will go real badly are so stressful. You know, it's just so out of the norm for us to do something where God doesn't show up, it's going to be a disaster. That when we do those things, it's like, this is crazy. This is crazy, you guys. Yeah. I mean, you think about it with just like you mentioned financial provision, like like giving, Mm -hmm. giving beyond what you feel comfortable giving, like stretching yourself because God, you're giving to something that's God's purposes. Mm -hmm. I feel like or you know that is so true that's so true for me Mm -hmm. even just with preaching or saying yes to a conference or 
something that I'm like, God, I, you have to show up for this because on my own, there, there, I have nothing good to say if it doesn't come from you. I need to trust that I'm hearing from you right now in order to give this message or to do this teaching or to speak this That's truth. That's right, because the worst thing would be is if you did it and it was just like Luann's great ideas yeah. about life yeah. and topics. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that Lectio Divina for me was so stretching because in my method of Bible study that I do in my quiet time where I'm doing to prepare for teaching, I am really relying on my own knowledge and strength. I am researching. I am reading what everyone else has to say about the scripture, maybe through a commentary, or I'm filling in the blank in a study guide, and I'm learning in a different way. But when I approach Lectio Divina, which I've been doing some now on my own, I am really just bringing my heart before the Lord, and I'm saying, in this passage, Lord, today, like, speak directly to me. Give mm-hmm. me what you need to say to me. I need to like put aside what I think I'm, this passage is supposed to say or what I've learned about it before. Yeah. And Lord, I just need you to meet me here in this time yeah. right now through this scripture study. And isn't that really the purpose of why we're supposed to approach? Like yeah. the purpose of the Bible is so that God can speak to us and meet us there when we're engaging it. And yeah, it's to know him, not to know to the Bible. know him and not to know the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think Sorry. I think we just get that wrong. I just I, I think we we really sort of elevate this idea of knowing the Bible like that's as Christians, that's what we should do. And that's what we should study. And that's what we should engage in. in. I think it's easier to wrestle with it if that's how we look at it, because if we look at it as is God going to show up when I come to hear from him? There's a lot of vulnerability in that because we feel uncertain mm-hmm. as whether or not he'll show up. It's like this, you know, blind date where we're like, is he going to be here? And you've got the rose in the book at the restaurant. And I think the word you used was presence. You know, mm-hmm. it's our presence. It's You know, that's what the silence part is about and sort of the resting and the contemplating. It's, it's a shutting down the voice in our head and the things we think we know and and all the distractions that we have when we're approaching the Bible. And then it is presence. The other interesting thing is that you said you expected him to say the same thing to all of you. Mm -hmm. And that to me just underscores this idea of approaching it, feeling like there is some, like you're going to walk away with something objective that you can say, let's compare notes. And so we'll all know this is the right this is the right thing mm-hmm. that we were supposed to hear. If you all get the if you get the same answer, then you know it's probably right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, my experience when we were in the group, um, we did this narrative passage, and in the passage, it's Eli and Samuel, and God is speaking, and he's not sure that it's God's voice. He gets out of bed, you know, and he runs down the hall, and he's like, "No, I didn't call you," and and over and over, and so I'm like sitting in silence and I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, show me something from this passage and I'm really engaging in it and I'm being the dutiful student, you know, asking all the questions and sitting there. And it was like a lightning bolt to my heart. The Lord said, you are afraid. And Mm -hmm. I almost just wanted to weep because I was in this season where I was transitioning out of this job that I loved to go to school and it felt like this super unknown 
And as we got through it, the Lord said, you are afraid of what I am calling you to. And I just, I started crying. I was like, I am. And I'm so scared to admit even to you, Lord, that I'm so scared. And when we got done and we were in the debrief, there was these just distinct moments like that for both people, for what just in that moment in the presence, what was happening in their heart that the Lord dug out and uncovered through this method. And it was different for each of us. It was different for each of us. Um, It was very specific to what was happening. And I just felt like maybe if I had approached that same passage, I would have been like, oh, well, I know what this passage is about. This, you know, this passage Mm -hmm. is about hearing God's voice. And yeah, it, it feels like I just have this sort of standard answer for what some of these particularly popular passages are supposed to be. And what Ruth Haley Barton also mentions in her book is sort of that same experience of trying to put put aside your preconceived notions about what this passage is about to sort of put aside what you've learned before and just approach the scripture in a way that says God is going to speak something new and fresh to me today specifically to my situation hmm. when I approach the Bible. There are people who think Lectio Divina is not like the best practice, the best way to approach the Bible. There are people, and by people, I mean, we're not talking some fringe group of Christianity. We're talking some pretty prominent theologians of our day who people read their blog posts and their websites on a regular basis as a standard of Christian resource who say that Lectio Divina is a dangerous practice and they Mm -hmm. do not support it as a way to approach the Bible. The main dangers that they say people need to be wary of are that you could confuse your own voice for the voice of God. Yes. So the voice in your head, it's its that you could hear yourself and you would think it's God. Yes. Uh, it's all it, its all in the listening piece. And maybe that's why I haven't been taught listening as part of my practice. Because theologically, maybe listening is not sort of foundational to the way I've been taught to approach the Bible, but the listening is, you know, sort of this idea that you might mix up sort of your own thoughts or wants and confuse those with the Holy Spirit, but also that it may open the door for, you know, Satan. This is legit. Mm -hmm. To move in and sort of manipulate you through using his voice to get you to stray the course, I guess, is sort of the argument against it. Well, we've done a couple of different things where we focused on hearing the voice of God and learning to hear his voice in YWAM and then also in School of Supernatural Ministry. And and they talk about how do you know if it's God's voice and not your own voice? We talked about both of those dangers. If it's you're just hearing your own thoughts and thinking they're God or if it's actually like an outside evil influence, how do you know? And they talked about Well, God doesn't contradict himself. Right. He won't go against like what he's revealed to us in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a place for us to practice hearing the voice of God. And what we would do is we would, I would do an exercise similar to this and listen, write down what we thought and then come together in community and share what we thought. Mm -hmm. And that was also a way to refine what what maybe was or wasn't God's voice because then you can learn without it being this like terrifying prospect that like what if I do something that's heresy what if I hear something and it's wrong 
It's something that you should practice and you'll get better at it the more that you practice and spend time with them. Just like you know, the more you're with someone, the more you know what they sound like. Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, we've talked about it being a communal practice and I think you're right. I think any time that you feel like God has instructed you to do something, that it's wise to test it with other people. Mm-hmm, and right. so, I, I mean, I can understand where, like, maybe it, where the, it can be harder. That's what it is. It's harder. Yeah, it's more right. discipline. Uh, it's, you know what? It's messier. It's messier. And it's grayer. And it's grayer. And we, as Christians, <laughs> we just want to stay away from all gray areas. Yeah, we think yeah. if it's gray, it must be bad. Yep. And that's not true. It just means we're going to have to think a little bit more. We're going to have to use our, our hearts and our minds and our soul. Isn't that what um, Jesus says? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. All of those places have to be engaged in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think Lectio Divina does that. That's actually one of the uh, scriptures that he pulls from is this idea of engaging, listening with your heart or your soul. Um, and so I do think it can be harder. It can be messier. Mm-hmm. And it's not the easy way to teach. And now... I do think that there's wisdom in saying that this is not the only way that you approach the Bible, that you have any number of ways that you approach the Bible. And this is just another one of those disciplines that you add to sort of that academic approach. I think there's a time and a place for each one of those studies. The Bible shows us clearly that... uh that God's people can hear his voice. He says, my sheep know me and they listen to my voice. And it is important to me that the Christian leaders that influence me believe that I'm capable of hearing the Lord without their help. Yeah. This is the first sort of Bible reading practice out of the gate that we engaged in in seminary. I've been going through a really tough season um, where I lost my grandmother, who was very close to me, and I was taking a class in person, and I came to class, and the professor knew that I had been out for her funeral, and he asked me how I was doing, and I immediately just started crying. I was like, you know, I'm getting through it, and I'm doing okay, and so he said, we're going to pray for you today, but he said, first, what I want to do is I want to engage Lectio Divina on your behalf, and he had everybody take out Psalm 23. He read it. We did the whole practice, not the three-hour practice, the short version of it. Uh, We moved through all four movements, and he asked the class, he said, I want you to listen on behalf of Luann today, not yourself. I want you to listen to each one of these sort of movements and ask the Lord if he has a word that you can speak over her and to her. And I was the recipient that day of God's voice and the life and the truth that can be spoken into people when we listen to what God has to say for someone. And it's such an important practice. Um, I agree. And it can mean, it can be so valuable to people to know that God cares enough to speak to them. And it doesn't have to be a terrifying, dangerous, without any rules, freaky, um, hyper-spiritual kind of experience. Even the School of Supernatural Ministry, which I would think was way further down the line of like freaky spirituality than seminary, we did something, we did something really similar for people in our group each time. But the leader said, if you feel like God is telling you something not good, for this person, that it's like negative, like a woe unto you kind of thing, or 
if you feel like God's saying like that something's going to happen in their future, like something like a marriage or a baby, any of those things, you aren't allowed to say those. Mm -hmm. You have to come and tell Mm -hmm. a leader and we will then discern together if that's something that needs to be said. Like for, so they were like fortune, te- off fortune telling is off limits. Entirely. Well, it wasn't even like God could be saying that like I have good things for you. It's not like you can't say anything about their future. Yeah. But just there were these really specific things they said like these are big. You don't get to you're you're just sort of new at this. You're still learning and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to you don't get to bring this word from the mountain and you don't you don't say thus says the Lord. You don't equate your own voice with the Lord's voice. Yeah. And there were some amazing and really powerful and just just kind of precious um, words that that we would give and get in those times that are so special and that increased my confidence that even though I was just a normal person, I could I I knew God's voice. If somebody listening wants to practice Lecto Divina, how how do they go about doing that? Yes, yeah, so we'll link in the show notes a guide um, that I found online where you can practice this um, personally in your own sort of devotional Bible study practice. I would recommend that it be uh, in a time where you are can find some sort of monk-type roots, some silence and some solitude. And then I also recommend that you practice it in... Um, follow the God and practice it with a friend or a couple of friends, um, which feels a little bit scarier, I think, um, to do it in a group sometimes. So maybe some people that you trust mm-hmm. and go through each of the movements. And I will say just a note for the people who tend to be like me. Um, I really struggled with how slow Lectio Divina is. Uh, there mm-hmm. is, and Lectio Divina's roots are in this slower, so the silence in between, I ended up having to set a timer to make sure that I was silent for like a full three minutes when it was three minutes, because the first time my friends were like, that was like 60 seconds, and I was like, what? It was like 30 minutes is what it felt like. <laughs> uh, it's a very slow approach, and so uh, it is a discipline. You know, it, and yeah. it feels a little uncomfortable and slow and uh, at first. And so I would say stretch yourself um, and find a scripture passage. You don't want to do more than six or eight verses at the time. You want to do a small uh, portion of scripture. And so that you can really focus in on a word or a phrase that the Lord is bringing to your mind in that time. And then when you have the word or phrase, you ask the Lord what it means. Like, what are you saying through that phrase to me? And then you write out. And that's kind of the rest, which I think is an important part of Lectio Divina, this like contempliato, the rest. It says rest in the word of God. And it it doesn't mean that the Lord is going to give you something that you have to go do every time. It Mm. may mean that he just wants to touch some place in your heart um, that needs his love, that mm-hmm. needs his character, that needs his truth. It may be some lie that you have hidden inside there that you're believing that the Lord yeah. just wants to speak. And so I believe like Tio Divina, um, the resting portion at the end is to just rest in what the Lord is saying um, is important because you may not get go out and do any number of things. You may just get know who I am. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think sometimes we tend to just look for the action yep. steps. We look for the action. And 
first. Mm-hmm. You got to know God. You got to know him. And he wants to know you. Thank you so much, Luann, for sharing with us. Do you have a scripture reading for us today? I do. And so I'm going to read two scriptures today because in the vision or inspiration for Lectio Divina from the Bible, there are two passages that monasticism okay. refers to. The first one is from Romans 10, 8 through 10, and it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And the other one that it draws from is Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and quick to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's it for today. And that wraps up our focus on spiritual disciplines. We didn't cover all of them, but we hit the ones where Luann had some major wake-up moments or where she learned something that really surprised her. And just to give you a peek at our map here, We're following along on Luann's seminary journey, so the topics are going to be dictated by which classes she's taking. We're changing course and sailing now towards the choppy waters surrounding Luann's next class on practices of worship. Stowaways, we found ourselves disagreeing with a lot of what Luann was learning. Both of us, I might add, not just me. Maybe disagreeing is too harsh. Let's just say we had so many questions. We've got some great stuff coming up on the pod these next few months, and we've got our first guests. There were too many questions that we could not answer ourselves, so we decided to bring some quality people in. I can't wait to get into it. Also, if you want a recap of what we learned about spiritual practices, you can find that in our highlights on Instagram. We'd love to know what you thought about this first voyage. Did you learn anything? Did you try any of the practices we talked about? Did we forget to address any burning questions? Too jokey? Too boring? Reach out and let us know. Till next time, friends. Thanks for listening.